Welcome to Coffee and Change. I'm Bill Kirst. As a business professional, a U.S. veteran, a lifelong learner, and an active listener, I help others navigate, understand, and adapt to our ever-changing workplace and world. As a third culture kid, I call many places home. Presently, Seattle is where I explore my creativity through the power of words and images. In this podcast, we journey with our guests gaining knowledge and inspiration from their stories. And just like that, we are at the last episode of the 2021 season, episode 85. In this episode, I'm honored to speak with Tom Cridland, singer, songwriter, and podcast host of the greatest music of all time. His is a podcast you should definitely add to your New Year's listening resolutions. Tom connects with some of the world's best artists and captures the story behind the story of their music, songwriting, and creative process. It was a joy to connect with a fellow music lover and lifelong student of songwriting and song. Enjoy this listen and happy holidays. I look forward to connecting with you again in the 2022 season of Coffee and Change. First of all, just and thanks to, to Deb for kind of reaching out. Um, I had not come across your work, um, but I'm really glad that she did. Um, I've had the opportunity to listen to a number of episodes. And I got to say, man, like you've interviewed some of my favorite artists of all time. And I would love to just start off by hearing a little bit about how you came to this podcast. I mean, it's so fascinating to think like the way that you connect with people. And as I'm listening to them, I'm thinking, wow, what is this connection to Ronan Keating or Adam Duritz or Smokey Robinson or Don McLean? And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey, about how you got to this podcast, and then we can go from there. Well, the podcast started as just a bucket list item you know meet these people and I, you know the first list of people included the likes of Smokey Robinson these were just people who I thought I'd love to somehow find a way of having a conversation with them it wasn't like I want to start this podcasting business or project or anything like that so I thought okay well what is a good way of meeting my heroes mm -hmm. and then that led me to you know, podcasts or interviews, because it's got to be something that they get something out of. Right. But then obviously I was at the obvious, you know, there was clearly a disconnect between me giving interviews and why they would want to do it. So I had to think of something that would entice the likes of these amazing musicians. And that's where the greatest music of all time thing came in. And initially it was just going to be a one-off series where it was going to be like, 10 or 20 or 30 of these artists and so that's a lot of those ones in person like earth wind and fire smoky temptations don mclean david crosby they were all done 
in person. And, uh, and yeah, that was part of this one-off project. And then COVID happened and I was just kind of reflecting on this amazing experience, you know, getting these people to come and have a conversation with me, be on the podcast because this greatest music of all time hook had worked. And I thought, you know, this is probably a better idea than just doing a one-off thing. And this could be a project, this could be a business, and this could also enable me to speak to all sorts of people. And, you know, since then, I've had everybody from, you know, Dion Warwick to Christina Hendricks on there. Um, I've spoken to people from outside of music about music. And I've spoken to more incredible musicians, you know, like Adam Duritz, as you just mentioned, from Counting Crows, um, was one of the more recent ones. And he was actually just pitched to come on by his team. And, and that's really? that's what got, got to the stage now. Like Steve Perry and Tears for Fears, um, because I was taking a little break from actually recording episodes uh, to to um, work on my own music and because I was on a tour, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then I just got these emails, you know, would you like to have Steve Perry on the podcast? Or would you like to have um, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears? And it's, yeah. I mean, in those situations, like even if I'm meant to be taking a break from recording, it's a I'm definite yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, anywhere, you know, even if I'm in a service station, of course. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it's been quite the convoluted journey. And, you know, a, a, another kind of pinch me thing, really. Um, and yeah, I, I just want to try and improve the production aspect. Um, try and get it more professional, but I kind of like being an independent, non-corporate. I agree. About that, I absolutely agree. And you're you're almost to like 500 episodes, if I'm if if uh, my my counting is right. And I really like that you say you'd almost like to stay like an independent as opposed to uh, kind of that corporate, packaged, overproduced uh, podcast. And that's one of the things I really like about the way that you've done it in and amidst COVID, because there's a, there's a, there's a grittiness and like a realness to connecting with, with some of these artists. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, for example, the Adam Duritz interview, I loved it because I believe he was in the UK and he was outside on these beautiful grounds. And yeah. you asked him at one point, kind of like, where are you? And, um, and he was just taking it outside because he loved the grounds and he was kind of inspired. I think they were maybe recording or he was recording yeah. Um, yeah. in a studio um, nearby or at the time. So I, I mean, I think it's awesome that you, that you started something that was almost like a series, like a project, and it's grown into this, this thing that has a life of its own. I'm curious from the standpoint of like greatest music of all time, was that always the hook for you? Was that sort of the door opener? Like, what was the vision for, for the, for the, ta- the title and the name? That, yeah, that was it from the word go, uh, just because of a way of making people think, oh, I, I kind of want to do this. Mm-hmm you know, you're one of the greatest artists of all time. Now it's sort of like, it can be twofold. It can be, you're coming on to discuss, you know, the music that you think is the greatest music of all time, or you're one of the greatest of all time yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's often left ambiguous now. Right. If I'm inviting Paul McCartney on, I'm sure he knows he's <laughs> on in the respect of uh, greatest music of all time. And, you know, fingers crossed he'll come on. But if it's somebody who's more like, I do get pitched all these younger artists by mm. label, some of whom I've had on, uh, especially during the pandemic. And I'd like to do more of them, but uh, yeah, I'm, 
I mean, maybe they're delusional enough to think that they're on it in the, the capacity of being the greatest music of all time, but I, I sincerely doubt it. So they, mm. you know, they normally have records prepared that they want to discuss by other people. But yeah, that was the hook from from the word go. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious what what is what has it been like um, the transition right from in person to to remote mostly you know via Zoom and things like that and then you as we were talking before the recording just now you actually got a chance to do some more in person recently we're kind of in this weird window right now Tom I believe you're in LA I'm up here in Seattle we're in this very strange time as we said like two years feels like it's been one year packed in and now we're going into sort of this third year of the pandemic and. You know, if you read the news as of today, it's looking pretty scary, right? New York's shutting down again, Broadway shutting down, people are pulling back from performances. I think some of the concerts have um, 20 to 25% no-shows, even for people who have bought tickets. So I'm curious, what's that transition been like for you from like in-person to remote and then sort of a little, a little teaser of in-person again, and then what's the future like? Well, yeah, I mean, the future is difficult to predict because people obviously understandably want to be cautious it would seem i mean the uk appears worse than than the us mm -hmm. right now like la feels quite normal um i don't know why because in the uk from what i hear people are t saying christmas is going to be cancelled yeah. um so i've i've loved um doing it in person again i i i'm I've never been a big fan of doing things remotely, but I've come to really actually enjoy doing video calls and having video conversations. There's obviously a great convenience mm -hmm. to it. And it's better than I remember because before the pandemic, before Zoom, I had no idea what Zoom was before the pandemic. Right. Uh, it just kind of came out of nowhere. I thought it was Skype. Mm -hmm. But the guys at Skype must really be kicking themselves after uh, <laughs> this pandemic. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I remember Skype always being like not that good. Loads right. of delays and and I always found like video calls kind of awkward and I tried to avoid them wherever I can. Whereas now I think they work really well. So it's not like I've resented that, but I'm I love concerts. I love meeting people in person. I love going to places and doing things physically. Um, I'm in a very lucky situation. I spent lockdown with my parents in the countryside um, in the UK. So you know, I can't complain, but I, in terms of what the future looks like, I really hope uh, that we don't end up not having gigs and not having in-person um, podcasts. Cause I want to try and in the long term, really insist on doing stuff in person. Um, Debs and I, um, Debs, of course, who reached out to you and she does a, an amazing job, but um, I mean, she runs everything that, that we do. Um, and does an amazing job but um you know she's so she's sort of my well my girlfriend first and my manager second we met when we were 18 at university we're thinking of moving to uh to vegas um when we eventually settle down because we travel quite a lot at the moment yeah um and uh and opening like a podcast studio and trying ha trying to have it a bit more like joe rogan style where yeah people will come in and you've got like a great setup there and you can really host people properly so that would be how i would like to do it long term i definitely want to try and do in person over virtual but as you've said you know it's like what what's going on and i, I have a feeling that, that, that this pand pandemic is going to last i don't know for, for quite a while mm -hmm. um because you know th like this variant 
we don't know even how um, virulent this variant is, and it's causing this much of a, a reaction. People are, are this scared, and, and, and people are, are looking, you know, governments are looking at shutting down society. So if there's ever even like a slightly stronger one, then the reaction is going to be even worse. <laughs> so I'm preparing in my mind just yeah. to try and, uh, try and, you know, roll with the changes, as it yeah. were, and stay peaceful. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting because, um, as I mentioned to you before, one of the few opportunities I had to interview um, guests in person, I was actually in a studio and um, it was with a band, a band called Gladdy. Um, and they're based out of Philadelphia, but they have this beautiful space in the Pocono Mountains. They actually built a studio. Um, oh, right. Where are those right, The Pocono Mountains are in, in Pennsylvania. So a lot of people in New York uh, for years would come down to the Poconos in Pennsylvania because it was just far enough away from New York uh, over the years that you could sort of go somewhere where you wouldn't know anybody and, and, and you could get some peace and quiet. It became kind of a, a respite for a lot of people that would come down from New York City. And so, you know, there are these beautiful mountains and this band, um, they, you know, prior to pandemic, it was really interesting. They built a studio above a garage and they felt they sort of were listening to kind of the universe. And they were saying, you know, we feel like there's going to be a need for people who want to record in curated, intimate spaces that you feel like you're not pressured in a studio and you can really let your creativity come out. So they've, they've designed it and curated it. It was a beautiful space and such an honor for me to get to interview them in that space and hear their story as mm -hmm. artists and as a band and who they were growing up as people. That fed my soul so much, Tom. And, and as you described, like the future of podcasting and, and the vision that you and Debs have for the studio in Vegas, like I get so excited about that concept for podcasters, independent podcasters, because to, to create a space where people feel comfortable and safe and creative and, and their story can come through. I mean, it's, it's, there's no better feeling as you know. Um, and so I think it's, I'm, I'm really hopeful for that for a lot of podcasters and a lot of artists as well. Um, and I love that some of this, you know, what are the gifts that COVID right has, has, has brought some of us. And I think there's this just boundless creativity that's coming through people you're a songwriter, you're also an artist, you perform, as you mentioned, you're on tour. I'm curious, like, has that, has, has some of that come through for you? One of the things I wrote down in my notes was you did this amazing project where you basically uh, wrote and recorded a single a week. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called the single a week project. And I think you're like, I don't know, are you up to like 300 or something? I can't even remember. I was like scrolling through to see. So <laughs> we'd love to hear about that creativity that comes through for you. So, yeah, so that was, um... It, yeah, it was it was it was going to be a single week. I mean, I I basically just wanted to try and I, I thought you know we live in a social media age, so everybody likes, or you can only do well if you release regular content. Mm -hmm. So I put together a hundred and well, it, it was going to be a single every week, as I say, for a couple of years. So mm -hmm. I had a hundred and something songs. It turned out a hundred and seven songs are on this single a week uh, box set that I put out. I only kept on releasing a single a week for like three weeks, maybe. Um, and then I then I just thought, you know, I'm not into this. I prefer to work on an LP mm -hmm. uh, on 10 songs on an album and sure. then release that and spend longer. I thought this was a bit quantity over quality, but there was some great, there's some great stuff in there. There's some oddities 
mm-hmm. uh, in there, and there's some really strong records. In in, in any case, I wrote I wrote all of this stuff um, when I stopped drinking. I decided to make my own music. Then in 2019, I wrote all of these songs, and Amazing. I went on tour in the U.S. A self-funded tour where I played a gig in all 48 contiguous states, whilst releasing a single a week. I was basically wow. really making an effort to try and get out there because music is difficult. And that was at end of 2019, so just before COVID. Yeah. At that point, um, one of my favorite bands, um, legendary Philadelphia soul band, The Stylistics, got in touch with me. Um, and said, you know, they'd heard one of my songs. Um, would I like to go on tour with them? Um, so I've just been on tour with the Stylistics in the UK, um, and that's been an incredible um, wow. experience. But that was going to be in 2020. Obviously, with COVID, it got postponed to now. And by the looks of things, we've been very lucky mm-hmm. um, to play. I played 19 gigs with them um, to their audiences. You know, they've been touring for 50, 50 years. So yeah. They uh, they have some great fans and yeah it was like a completely different level um, to when it to when it started so uh, so it's been during the pandemic my main creative outlet's been podcasting it's been really. podcast yeah I mean it's interesting because I was listening to um, a midlife crisis in, in a midlife crisis in your twenties which is one of your uh, LPs um, there was like three songs like and and I would love to chat with you a little bit about your influences because I as I was listening there were so many things that I heard. And I would love to run this by you because you're yeah. obviously this catalog of music and, and having connected with people. But the, I loved um, Wind Back the Clock. Uh, I loved Lead Balloon and Somewhere Under the Floorboard. Um, it, it felt very like old school to me. And like, especially Somewhere Under the Floorboard, there were like pangs of like old school new kids on the block in there, like 80s kind of um, mm. And I was like, oh, man, I hear like the first like elements of the first New Kids album that a lot of people don't even know about. I mean, I'm of that era, right? I'm, I'm born in 1978. So I've of that era of kind of the, the 80s and 90s. But when I listen to your uh, catalog, these are a couple of the elements I hear. Um, and I would love your reaction on some of this because it was it was an interesting mix. I hear Crowded House. I hear Krista Berg. I hear Lighthouse Family. I certainly feel uh, hear Phil Collins, um, Noel, <laughs> Noel Gallagher, uh, Blur, a little bit of Take That, a little bit of New Kids on the Block, a little bit of Hathaway, a little bit of Wham, Simply Red, Supergrass, Pulp, and of course, Elton John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right on all of those. Um, all of those. I love all of those artists. Um, I think my, my thing for the future will be to try and hone in on mm. a sound yeah because at the moment i'm like robbing and stealing and getting inspired from different people and and that comes through in the production mm-hmm. and the songs you've highlighted for people who haven't heard of them you know like wine back the clock is oasis slash beatles and yeah. definitely kind of beatlesy in the sense of the production is like it was played on like a ramshackle piano and mm-hmm. and it's all basic and i'm on drums on that one I, like i don't really play drums um so it's like super basic ringo style and it's it's all just like very raw organic beatlesy sounding and then somewhere under a floorboard is huge uh 80s yeah uh synths and stuff and that's kind of a bit like the the whole album is just so disjointed in terms of the the feel to it um which you know i guess there's no rules in music right. but i think people you know 
you're a fan of people and you you I know I know like Bowie changed it up loads, but I mean yeah, I, I, I think you need to have your thing and your sound. Yeah. Um, so that's my challenge. Well, I think it I mean, I think it's a, a wonderful challenge because I mean part of me, you know, one of the things I'm really fortunate, I was I was sort of born with a musical ear. And over the years I, I picked up well, I've studied like seven languages and like, you know, wow. you've taken when you, when you love music and then you take like the linguistics on top of that, it just opens up a whole different world. And and for me, I think the best compliment you can give to an artist is is that balance of, um, you know, as you say, right, there's a little bit of like sampling or, or inspiration or some people might call it robbing. I don't call it robbing. I, I consider it these wonderful compliments. And, you know, as of late, there's been controversy I would put in quotes, but, you know, someone like Olivia Rodrigo, right? I loved her stuff and listened to it. Why? Because I heard old, I heard old school Paramore in there. I heard Haley Williams in there. I heard Alanis Morissette in there. Like these are artists that really were important in my life at the time they were. So naturally when I listened to the album all the way through, which that's something else I wanted to chat with you about is it's so interesting these days. Um, people are challenged to be able to listen to an album all the way through. And recently Adele said, Hey, I want to take the ability to shuffle the album off of Spotify so that people can listen to it. Cause it, it, it is, it is a book in her life. Um, and I try and do that as well. I miss those days of, you know, buying a CD, opening the packet, reading it all through and listening to it front to back. Um, it's tough now. I, I don't know if many people listen to albums front to back. Do you, do you get the sense? I mean, you've been touring, you've been talking to people. What's the, what's that sense? I think it's only real music fans. I mean, you clearly have a real passion for music and a great knowledge of it. I mean, just from the way that you were able to reel off such a kind of diverse array of different artists. I mean, I know that a lot of them come from a particular school of music, you know, sure. when you were saying what my records sound of sound like but like you know you can you can tell just just from listening to you that you've got a huge passion for it so i and you're conscientious about listening to records but honestly i feel like 99 percent of people don't care yeah i think music is becoming like a like a valueless commodity i think people think of a song as about as much worth as like a TikTok video mm-hmm. um which is very sad, but that is the way it is. There are some people who buy vinyl and want to listen to albums. There are some people who care about listening to an album all the way through. I mean, Adele is so big, mm-hmm. right? That, I mean, there was that whole controversy with the Australian. Um, yeah, it, that was unbelievable. The guy gets on a plane, goes all the way there and hadn't even listened to her album. She turned him right away, right? She just said, yeah. I'm not having this interview. Yeah, well, good for right. her. <laughs> good for her. Firstly, good for her. Secondly, I mean, I, I read this article where somebody was like, why didn't you just say your album was great? Like he lost a deal. I think that they, she's so big mm-hmm. that they paid Adele half a million quid for an interview to promote her album. She's right. the one getting something out of this whole arrangement mm-hmm. and she got paid for it. That's how, I didn't even know that sort of thing happened. People yeah. got paid for prom, to, to take part in promo to promote things that they're selling. Right. So, I mean, that is how big she is. So people are going to listen to her album. They'll listen to it in order. They'll listen to every track. Yeah. She's that big. Mm-hmm. Ed Sheeran, people will listen to every track. The weekend. Um, but when you're discovering new people, I think it's music fans that listen to whole albums. Other people yeah. listen to playlists. 
or songs get recommended by your mates. I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a different era in term in terms of albums. I I can't see there being this uh, mainstream shift in going yeah. back to listen to full LPs. I think something massive has been lost in that. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was a kid growing up today, I'd be very different um, to the person that I've ended up yeah. being um, in terms of the way I consume music. And it wouldn't be better. Because, I mean, even though I I only grew up in the 90s. Um, it's an incredible know, era of music, though. <laughs> great era of music. Yeah. And I was obsessed. But in terms of what the way that you bought things. Yeah. It was still like it was it was CDs, you know, like people started file sharing illegally when I was like 13, 14 and LimeWire and all that. Napster, LimeWire. Yeah. But that was like when I was 13, 14. So mo- so I'd already kind of grown up a little bit to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And and it, I lived through at least a, a while where those CDs that you had were all that you had. They were treasures like they were treasures. Exactly. They were tactic tactile treasures for us. And you had to listen to them, and you listened to them again and again and again. Yeah. Um, and you got to know every last song. Yeah. And there's something in that. There's too much. There's an abundance of content now that's all free. It renders it valueless. I mean, what other effect is it going to have? Right. Well, and you think about also, remember in the 90s, there were always hidden tracks on CDs. I mean, like the hidden tracks on CDs, it was like it was like a secret passageway into the, the back end of an old mansion and realizing that you stumbled upon, I don't know, like treasures from an Egyptologist or something. And you just don't get that anymore. Like, how do you have a hidden track in, 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 in the world of Spotify? Or, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't know if it exists. Right. Because it was literally stitched onto a, a physical item space put in between it. And it was supposed to be the equivalent, I guess, of what today is sort of when you go watch a film in a cinema, and at the end, after the trailers, you know, everybody waits, especially when they watch like the Marvel films or whatever, everybody waits because there's going to be a, a sort of hidden trailer after the after the credits. We just don't have that anymore. And I, I, I mean, frankly, I miss that because those treasures and those gems of that experience, you know, I've talked about this before, like the, the importance of opening up that CD booklet and not only like reading the lyrics if they were in there, but also reading who the producer was, who the songwriter was, and then going on sort of this rabbit hunt of, well, I'm going to follow what that songwriter does in other places. Um, I mean, for me, I think, gosh, I remember when I got the Counting Crows album, August and everything after. I mean, I I couldn't stop staring at the, the, the insert, you know, and the, the artistry and the cover and every song. Um, it was a multi-dimensional experience for me. And and there was a question I wanted to ask you as well about which this brings to mind because you would obviously interviewed Adam Duritz. Mm. There was a game that my colleagues and I used to play back in the day called Desert Island Disc. And so mm. if you had to go to a desert island and you could only bring one disc or CD, um, which obviously this is fictional because of the world we're in now, but... <laughs> Do you know what that CD would be? Because for me, it was really interesting. It was a tough, tough question that somebody asked me, but I ended up on Counting Crows, August, and everything after. Wow, yeah. I mean, it is an incredible album. There's not a bad song on it. And yeah, those they're timeless, mm-hmm. timeless songs and timeless way of playing. I mean, I definitely don't think I could take an album. Yeah, it'd be so hard to pick one, right? Modern production. 
and I couldn't take a hip hop album. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to me, like everything uh, starts and ends uh, music wise and in life uh, with the Beatles um, and then with Elton. Mm-hmm. Uh, those yeah. are my two big, big uh, musical and just general like obsessions uh, in terms of like beyond the music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also especially knowing the music uh, intimately. So if it was an Elton album, I would choose Goodbye Yellow Brick Road mm-hmm. um, to take. Beatles, impossible, really. I mean, yeah. a lot of people say Abbey Road, and so do I, but I, I'd honestly, I'd be happy with any Beatles album. Mm-hmm. Um, I was saying the other day, Magical Mystery Tour is, like, really underrated. Like, people go on and on about Sgt. Pepper, and yeah. Sgt. Sgt. Pepper's incredible, but... Magical Mystery Tour, you know, had I'm the Walrus on it and Strawberry Fields Forever, I think, was on it. Or maybe that was just a single, but it had Hello Goodbye, um, obviously the title track, Fool on the Hill. Like song-wise, it's got loads of really good tunes on it. Um, so, But any Beatles album, apart from maybe Please Please Me, um, even though I do love that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you so remember those- your first music purchase? Like, what was the first CD you bought with your own money? Well, well, the um, the it all ties into what we were saying about treasuring CDs, mm-hmm. you know, because the Beatles, I didn't. It's not like I got their um, all all their full discography when I was sure. like seven or eight years right. old. Um, you know, it was it was Christmas and birthdays, and it was the same. They had the, they have these vi- the video series where they tell their own story. It's called the the Beatles Anthology. And it's like eight parts of like about an hour each. And I got bought one video cassette um, or one DVD. I mean, it started off video cassettes because mm-hmm. it was the 90s um, of the, the film. And I got bought an album, you know, bit by bit and all in chronological order. So I basically lived through my own private Beatlemania wow. uh, when I was like growing up. Uh, and that really made me treasure each thing. I was like, I cannot wait to get the next Beatles. For the out. next one, yeah. It was like, yeah, it was like growing up again in that era. Um, so w- in terms of one that I bought with my own money, those were the ones that feel like it. Those were the yeah. ones that I was asking for. I was like, can I please get like, you know, so, can I please get Rubber Soul like early? And it, and it would be like, no, you've got to wait till your next like, birthday. Yeah. Uh, in terms of ones that I started picking out, more dubious taste, I've got to be honest. Um, you know, I do remember being on holiday with my family and uh, insisting to my dad that we buy a uh, limp biscuit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> starfish. <laughs> and then uh, listening to the album in the car with a very bemused um, dad. Yeah. I was, like, I was like 12 or 13. Uh, I mean, he was chuckling quite a lot. Um, mm-hmm. My mum wouldn't, wouldn't let us play any of the songs. so that was about the first one that i can recall going no we've got to get this one (laughs) absolutely you know my first uh my first cd it was an interesting uh sort of journey um i first bought uh this artist's tape cassette tape in dublin at the virgin music store in dublin in 1991 i believe and then when i had the opportunity to buy my first cd I bought their album, their debut album on CD because this artist meant so much to me. And that artist 
who I would love for you to try and get on your podcast is Tevin Campbell. I don't know um, if you know. Yeah. Do you know Tevin Campbell? No, I don't. So he was a child star sort of prodigy that was discovered by Quincy Jones in the 90s. Um, and he started singing, I believe, when he was 12. But as you can imagine, his first album, his debut, I think he was about 13. He could hit some incredible notes, right? Um, falsetto and whatnot. Um, between his first album and his second album, his voice changed. Um, and so he had a number of albums uh, after, but I will never forget getting that tape in Dublin and then wearing that tape out, like to the point where you could no longer see. Remember the uh, the print on the side of tapes when you would sort of oh, see yeah, the side yeah. at any time? It was completely worn out because I'd played it in the Walkman so much. And then when I went to get my first CD, I believe I bought it in Los Angeles at a Tower Records. Um, oh, yeah. And it was it was the same debut album, uh, Tevin Campbell, uh, his first album, T-E-V-I-N. Um, and his first single was written by Prince, actually, wow. called, called Round and Round. Um, anyway, he, he went on to have an interesting career, but I've always been a fan um, from 1990 onward. Uh, and I was thinking, I was like, oh, who would I tell Tom to have on? I mean, you would probably be fascinated by his discography just because yeah, of the range. I mean, I've just noted him down and it seems like he's had quite a uh, incredible career. Yeah. And I think I think my knowledge as well. Like, I don't know how I haven't heard of him. Yeah, I'd be curious your thoughts, you know, if you if you if you give it a listen. But um, but that was one of the ones I was like, oh, man. I would give anything for for Tom to interview Tevin um, and 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 sort of extract some of the stuff that you do with some of these amazing artists. Now, certainly, some people would say he's not the greatest artist of all time, but hey, I can have my own opinion, right? And he he ranks as one of the top for me. Yeah, um, I mean that's the whole point. I mean the yeah. title is so tongue in cheek. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's a great. So was that was that one of the first CDs that you can recall buying? That was the first CD I bought with my own money in, in Los Angeles and Tower Records. Yeah, his debut album, T-E-V-I-N. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's never, it's not necessarily going to be, but he would rank as one of the top artists for you, did you say, as well? For me, yeah. I mean, if, if you think about, like, obviously, you and I both know that era of the 90s, right? R&B and soul, and there's there's just, like, if, if you think about like the first CD I bought was Tevin Campbell, the second CD I bought was Mariah Carey Unplugged. So that gives you a sense of like early days, Mariah Carey Unplugged on MTV. And I was kind of of this, I was so moved by the voices and the range and the just pure physics of what voices could do. Um, you know, back when Mariah Carey was hitting those notes that were not even registering, like, you know, it, people used to joke about the notes she would hit that would break glass. Um, now, obviously, these artists have evolved and their careers, what people think about them, fine, their own opinions. But if I go back to those early days, there's just such a purity of it for me in those in those early 90s R&B sounds that I carried with me. And a lot of people are like, where did where did this come from? Where, where did this taste come from in you? Um, you know, I think back to like my mom used to listen to Sam Cooke growing up, right? Barry Manilow growing up. Like there were so many vinyls and records that we had at John Denver. Like, uh, like there were sounds that I just always heard in our household growing up that I think frankly influenced me for really good singers, really good songwriters and people who could frankly move you to emotions. Um, so those were, those are my first two CDs that I bought with my own money. Then there were hundreds of CDs after that, including some of the people I listed that 
I, I heard in your music, you know, I, but I think about the first tape I was given, it was Phil Collins, but seriously. <laughs> and that yeah. one changed my life. I was 10 years old, I believe. And I still go back and listen to songs like, um, uh, Oh, I wish it would rain, you know? And, and people used to look at me and say, how are you, you're 10 years old. How are you so moved by this British singer, uh, who has these really sad songs. And uh, again, it's, I don't know, music takes me to a place and, and sometimes I feel like it's as if, you know, some of this I'm getting from another lifetime, but I'm not, I'm not upset at it. I love it. And yeah, a lot of people look at my playlist and they go, yeah, I, you're all over the place, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, it's great to have an eclectic taste. Yeah. Phil Collins is such a incredible artist. I've been that a fan album. of his since I was 10. <laughs> Yeah. Um, what, what would, um, I mean, who would be someone now that I'm giving you recommendations, but who would be someone that you would love to have on the podcast going forward? I'm sure you've got a list of like, Oh, I dreamed to get this person on. Well, I mean, I'm missing some of my biggest heroes, you know, Paul McCartney, Ringo, mm -hmm. Elton, um, Phil Collins, mm -hmm. Jeff Lynn from electric light orchestra, um, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre. Oh, and then, yeah. Uh, yeah. some of the big hip hop guys. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there would be more than that. I'd quite like to get Joe Rogan on just to talk to him about how to grow a podcast. Um, and also I'm kind of fascinated by how he got so big over any other podcast, but you know, mm -hmm. why is that? Um, because yeah. he seems to just have conversations with people, right. uh, but there are all sorts of people who, who I'd like to get on, but musically those, those would be some of the immediate names that spring mm -hmm. to mind. And what about, collaborating with musically because you've you've done you've done so much creativity and in, in, in music and um artistry and songwriting if you were if you could collaborate with someone musically who would that be well yeah that's a good question thing with collaborations is that you've got to feel comfortable it it really spoke to me what you were saying when you went up to the mountains in philadelphia what were the mountains called again the pocono mountains pocono mountains mm -hmm. Um, about the creation of a studio that's really geared towards letting artists be comfortable. Because mm. with collaborations, I just think, you know, I would say like, oh, Paul McCartney or Elton, but I reckon I just, I get very nervous. Mm -hmm. And music is something that makes me escape yeah. from feelings of anxiety or insecurity or restlessness or being in a rush or feeling like I've got something to prove to anyone, mm -hmm. you know, like when I'm writing songs or making music, you know, I'm sure it's not going to be like the release of an Adele album, but at least in the creation of it, I really truly find some peace. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think high pressure situations like collaborations and um, going to studios, you know, I've been, um, I've worked with people before who wanted to go to these fancy studios yeah. and, um, and with all the best will in the world, they were amazing studios to go into, but I don't really like feeling like, God, this has been, this is an expensive day. We've got to like, you know, we better do this all in a hurry so that we don't need to get another day or so that the costs don't rack up too much. It's nice to just have no pressure. Yeah. Um, so that's a really cool idea that they've had to try and gear the studio towards people mm -hmm. and feel comfortable. But I mean, I can't pretend any of those people who I'd like to have on the podcast, 
Sure. Apart from Snoop Dogg, Eminem, and Dr. Dre, because I don't really know how we'd collaborate. I'm not really much. I think it'd them. be amazing if you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm um, sure they, I'm sure they would make it good, but um, yeah. but any of those people like Paul McCartney, um, Jeff Lynne, Phil Collins, Elton, mm-hmm. um, be good to get something produced by Phil Collins. But I mean, you yeah, know, amazing. I don't know what he's, what he's like at the moment and in the studio and stuff. He, yeah, and I know I know he's been he's been battling with some illness stuff, right? I think I was reading um, recently um, that that there was some um, health stuff. Um, so obviously, you know that um, that to take into account. Um, you know, it's interesting as you talk about like the studio piece and like the 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 sense of pressure. That's a, that's exactly one of the things I talked about with the bland the excuse me the band Gladdy when I interviewed them um, in their studio. They they talked about. How, how tough it could be to actually get into your creative zone when you're worried about the time ticking of the reserved hours and how much this costs per hour, right? And you're looking around at all the stuff. So for me, I think I think about like the discussions. I've listened to Linda Perry's podcast a few times as a producer. Mm-hmm. You know, she's very specific about not having that that big studio feel. Instead, she carves out a part of her house or her living room and, you know, they put up um caftans or blankets or make it really wholesome so that people that she's worked with can go to that place of vulnerability and kind of dig deep and and you won't do that if you don't feel safe um in a space i would i would imagine um which which is exactly what you're hitting on yeah absolutely i i think you've got to feel comfortable and not be in a rush Mm -hmm. to, to produce your best work it's got to be and so you can't be working with engineers, for example, who, when they're recording you, aren't totally into it. Yeah. You know, I know that things are just work for people, but I mean, you can immediately tell when you're with the right collaborators and when you're in the right place. Yeah. And often a great place to work, I think, is at home. Yeah. Right. When it comes to, to writing and creating. And now you can get you can get such wonderful audio equipment. Yeah. Um, to record at home and and that kind of immediately brings down the costs and the pressures um but that said i'd hate to see great recording studios um die out right it's probably by the wayside yeah. support them yeah um, but you know equally i've recorded at places where you know they don't really need my support to keep going you know i've even been to abbey road and stuff like that like there's no there's no need to do that. I think going to Abbey Road now, it's not like the Beatles who had unlimited yeah. time there. Having a few days at Abbey Road is a high pressure thing mm-hmm. and it's an expensive studio and you know, you're constantly racing against the clock. Yeah, I think there's there's a real power and like I've actually started exploring this as well. So I've written a lot of poetry and songs and lyrics for years, right? Going all the way back to those same teenage years where we talked about the treasures that we look forward to uh, being inspired by and, and held by. And I, I you know, talking with a few people, they said, hey, just buy yourself an Arturia keyboard and just start, you know, just start some stuff in your own home, in your own space. And you're right, there's so much more that we can do with the software and the even the hardware to make it accessible. Um, that's something that I think about, you know, when I think about people like Jake Wesley Rogers, I don't know if you've come across his, yeah, work, yeah. you know, just I, I love the fact that this is someone who did it his own way. Right. And didn't really I mean, there was I, I watched a couple of uh, interviews with him and I remember his his um, some of his songs before he kind of really 
was comfortable to present himself in his own skin, right? He was a little more buttoned up and loved his voice. His voice is, was always there for me. I just felt like this was such an amazing story of someone saying, you know what? I'm not going to try and be anybody else. And I'm not going to try and go by somebody else's timeline. Um, I'm going to make my own music on, in my own time, in my own way. And I love that. I love that story because for every Jake Wesley Rogers, I think there's probably hundreds of people in the rafters waiting to put their creations out in the world. And I hope they get on podcasts like yours and mm, come across networks like yours. You know, that's another person I'd love for you to interview Jake Wesley Rogers. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I've, I've only just been turned on to him, but, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I, I need to find out more about his journey. What, what actually happened, what actually happened with him? So, he plays piano right as well. Yeah, so he plays piano. I mean, obviously, he has an incredibly, you know, uh, booming, ranging voice. You know, I think he grew up in a pretty conservative uh, lifestyle, uh, pretty religious lifestyle. Um, and I, I, I think as a as a gay man, he was kind of navigating like, how do I do this? How do I how do I um, let my voice be out there, but you could tell that he was sort of buttoned up. And if you look at some of his old stuff, um, he was definitely sort of presenting as a, a little more um, conservative. Um, mm. And I don't know at what point this sort of breakout moment happened, but I think he did a lot of stuff on Instagram, a lot of stuff on TikTok, and he just sort of put his voice out there and, 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 and had this sort of moment where it was like, life's too short. Um, and, uh, we are sort of blessed with our gifts and being able to put our words out there. And, and if our words can heal somebody else, then there, there's the currency that you need. So he's been on a couple of interviews that I've listened to with like Brene Brown, um, and a couple others where he's told that story. Um, but I just, I continue to love the fact that he, you know, when he played the troubadour, right, he played the troubadour recently and. I think he and Elton have connected on a few things, which has just been like a, a, an amazing dream for him. But there were so many flashback moments to the old Elton performance in there. And I love that, again, here's here's a person of this era who was moved by Elton's music, clearly. And it's it's an homage, right? To get to play the troubadour and have this amazing experience and touch the lives of people and also compliment and, and say, this is what this artist was for for him. Those are the stories that I love. So he's got a lot of that. I encourage you to kind of take a look. He's obviously got a lot on social media, but to me, he's not oversaturated. Like that's the thing I like about it. You could tell he's probably at the point where there's a lot of people asking him to be on his team. I get the sense that he's probably like, no, I'm going to kind of do this stuff on my own. Mm, that's interesting. I'd love to see his, the footage of him on on the Troubadour. Yeah, I think there's there's snippets of it that out on uh, kind of social media, probably on Instagram, uh, TikTok and things of that nature. Mainly, it's interesting, mainly from fans who take it. That's the other thing I really like is, sure, there's some of that, you know, somebody on the side of the stage probably taking it. But the thing I really like about the way that Jake Wesley Rogers, you know, echoes a lot of stuff is you can tell it's from fans in the audience and he sort of selects the ones that have different angles and he shares their stuff. So you are sort of getting it from the vantage point of a fan. Now, sometimes the audio is not as great because it's coming through their phone and things like that. But hmm. but the visuals are incredible. That's, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting that I, I, th I feel like I've seen more artists using iPhone recordings and fan footage yeah. as opposed to super slick professional stuff. And it does add a, 
kind of normality and humanity to them. Uh, And yeah, it'll be really interesting to um, investigate Jake Wesley Rogers further because I did notice, obviously, the Elton influence. I think I might have heard him being played on um, Elton's radio show, which I tried to keep up with. Possibly, Uh, yeah. But Mm -hmm. I I don't listen to it every week. I'm... I kind of go into it if I've got some kind of boring task to do on my computer and then mm-hmm. I'll catch up on a batch of episodes. But I did hear him on there. Yeah. I'd be interested to, to see him playing live, of course, as well, because you know records these days have a tendency to be made glossy and quite yeah. produced. And I, I bet live you can get something a bit rawer. Yeah, he's he's um obviously i've not seen him in person live but his his live performances again through the screen and through the the devices seem to be pretty captivating um the last Mm -hmm. the last live performance i saw pre-covid before everything shut down is another one of my um favorite artists of all time dermot kennedy have you come across oh yeah 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 last concert i saw and i think i'm good for life (laughs) like it was Uh, incredible where where did you see that uh, Seattle, here in Seattle, yeah. Wow, yeah, I, I. He would be an incredible person to have on as well. Um, he just did I... interesting. You might, you might find this interesting. He just did um, a street performance in New York about five days ago, because uh, you know he busk he 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 started out busking like Ed Sheeran did, mm-hmm. you know, in Dublin, and um, and so he really loves the the sort of pull back to the busking, and he just showed up in New York. He might have put something out on Instagram. I think he did it right at the uh, entrance of uh, Central Park. So he was under sort of one of those arches and the echo was perfect. Uh, and there were people around. It was just a beautiful like pre-holiday busking, New York City, Dermot Kennedy. Um, but yeah, I, I've i never forgotten where I first heard him. I was actually in Dublin passing. I think I was like walking down a street of pubs or bars and I heard this voice come out of a pub and I was transfixed and I stopped and asked the bouncer, who is that? And he's like, Dermot. And I was like, am I supposed to know who that is? And he's like, everybody knows Dermot. And I was like, does Dermot have a last name? And he was like, Kennedy. And I was like, okay. And, and I just ran straight back to my hotel and I probably should have actually just tried to get in, but I was just so, you know, like, I got to find out everything about this voice ramped straight back to my hotel and just started doing Spotify searches. And it has been a fanfare ever since. And I've seen him twice in concert, both times here in Seattle Amazing. and totally, you know, I will never forget the sense of bone marrow shaking that happened from his voice in, in, in concert live. Um, and that, that's why if it's the last concert I see, I'll be happy because he's up there in my top five for sure. Wow. Yeah. That's, I, I don't know whether I've heard his music. I know the name. And I think I interviewed somebody, Ziggy Alberts, um, who toured with Dermot. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 90% sure on that. Anyway. Yeah. I need to. He'd be another great, great person for you to listen to and, and connect with. Cause I think there's so many elements of his just raw songwriting talent journey uh he does a lot of hip-hop like elements in there as well which is interesting because people are like oh he's an irish singer songwriter like what is the role of hip-hop in there um 
I think there's a lot in there that you'll that will come out that you'll hear that maybe an everyday person probably wouldn't. So definitely encourage you to to take a listen to him as well. Um, but I could I could go on, man. This is like this is like you could tell that I'm in my happy place when I go down these paths of of music because this yeah. is the stuff that saved saved our lives, right? Like this is what's changed our lives and yeah. saved our lives. A hundred percent. And yeah, I mean these are uh, both of those artists, Jake Wesley Rogers. I've been meaning to kind of dig in more um and you know is there is there anybody else who you would recommend saying um well it's interesting because um there's a few there's a few that i'd started a list which i'll send to you actually um and just in terms of like when i think about the ability to kind of bring out the story within the story because like there's always that sort of surface piece we hear about artists but then it's like how how do they get to a place where they talk about um, the winding road that got them there, right? Like sort of that broken road that got them there. So I actually have a list that I've started, which I will send you um, oh, of, of folks that have come to mind because, you know, early days of iTunes, um, I used to spend my Sunday mornings, a little bit like church, right? But I would spend my Sunday mornings going through iTunes and just playing the snippets of, I've never heard of this person or I like this album cover, right? So some of it is the visual for me. It's kind of like going to a bookstore you scan the books that are on display and you think, oh, that one catches my attention. Now, you know nothing about the content, but it's the visual power of the of a cover that draws you. And I miss that, too. We used to have the artistry and the ability to sort of scan CDs and albums and vinyl still has that. But we don't get that in the in the social world. But I used to go through iTunes and just click things that spoke to me. And then I would go down this, this path and find everything out about them. So. One other person I'll leave you with, and then this will be the last one, and then I'll send you the list, is Levi Kreis. I don't know if you know that name. So last name is K-R-E-I-S. First name is Levi, L-E-V-I. Um, incredible talent, incredible voice, piano player, singer, Broadway. Uh, hey, what's, what, sorry, K-R-R. K-R-E-I-S. E-I-S. Yeah. He won a Tony. Um, is, is he an actor as well? He's a stage actor and singer songwriter. Yeah. So he's been in theater, but his, his true, his true calling, um, is singing songwriting, um, plays an incredible piano to give you a sense of the, the performance he got a Tony for. He played in a, um, show called million dollar quartet and he played the role of, uh, Jerry to Jerry Lee Lewis, um, you know, great mm -hmm. balls of fire. Yeah. And he played, he actually plays the performance in the, the show, which is incredible, you know, jumping and playing and jumping on the piano and sort of very Elton-ish too. Um, but well, his Jerry work- Lewis would have been one of his big influences, Elton. Yeah, exactly. So his discography, I think you would love. And another person that given his story, he started off in a very conservative part of America, I believe in Tennessee, grew up you know, I think in a Baptist um, influenced household. So he started by singing in choir. Uh, he also was, I believe, strangely enough, um, the first season of the show, The Apprentice, which I would normally never mention, um, <laughs> the, the contestants had to go find an artist in New York to put their money into because they, they saw raw talent, almost like playing like AR, A&R, you know, people. And they chose Levi Christ. And his first song that they chose ended up getting on TV shows and commercials and, and soap operas and all sorts of things. Uh, but his debut album was called One of the Ones. Um, 
and it was again an, an album that changed my life at that point um, in time. And I never would have found it had I not gone through just clicking through iTunes and, and doing those little 10 second samplers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, he sounds extraordinary. He's um, really another, talented. Another great, great choice as well because of the piano side and Jerry Lee Lewis uh, influence, especially because um, coincidentally I've been listening to quite a lot of Jerry Lee Lewis recently. Well, there you go. There's the universe for you. <laughs> yeah, that is the universe talking. Um, well, thank you so much for the time. I mean, this was like, this was a joy for me just to go down like Music Alley. Um, and I like really it, appreciate it. Oh, thank No, thank you. Thank you for, for your patience as well with uh, with rescheduling it. But yeah, it was sure. awesome. I, please send me, send me a list. Of, yeah, uh, I've got uh, this list started um, that I will send you. And uh, if there's anything I can do to, you know, obviously support you, you're, 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 you know, you're, take it off in so many different ways. And that's awesome. And I love the work that you're doing. Um, you know, the discussions that you had with Annie Lennox and Ella Henderson and Gabrielle, and like, these are like, I, these take me to places that I haven't been to in a really long time. And um, I love it. So keep it, keep it going. Thank you for, for doing likewise, this. Likewise, Bill, if, if you want the contact details for anybody who you'd like to reach out to for your podcast, let me know and I'll send for them sure. to you. Sure. I will, I will be dreaming that into the new year and, uh, will will definitely uh, help out and who knows you know maybe someday i'll get to get to be that singer songwriter or ar rep or you know it's you only live once right so go for it a hundred percent exactly so all right appreciate it tom enjoy your holiday um are you staying in la for the holiday no we'll be got back to england on back tuesday to england. okay all right well to travel safe have a wonderful holiday and um i look forward to staying staying in touch you too, Bill.